How my sound sounds good? You sound great. Ah, Kyle, how you doing, brother? Good. How you you doing? sound great. Do I? Does that I'm, sound okay? Yep, we sure. Yeah, absolutely. Try to speak into the speaker is about it of of whatever you're working on, and and uh, man, I want to get. I'm fucking excited, dude. I'm excited too. I, Are you really? I don't know. Do you you don't sound it like I sound, man. I'm I'm over here twitching, <laughs> barely sleeping last night. This you not only are you working on very important things today, but you are also uh, a documentarian. Is that what it, what we would call it? You make documentaries. Yeah, I do. I, I do a lot of documentaries. I've done documentary like film and TV. Um, You're and a I photographer. Do a, yeah, I'm a photographer. Like I consider myself a a photographer a documentary photographer okay and then we see also, that definitely if we follow your ink master or excuse that? me your ink master we definitely see how giddy i am i want to get straight to the ink master <laughs> we okay. definitely yeah. see that if we follow your instagram i should say but i know you i come into contact with you first as a former producer for season four of ink master that's right that's right so that if you don't mind working with me here, man, I want to get to all this, of course. But first, how do you end up at Ink Master? Interesting story. So I, I was a, um, you know, I started as a production assistant and kind of uh, just stayed in the television, with the reality television business for a while, working my way up to producer. And then I got a random call to be the supervising producer of season four of Ink Master. What, what anything you might have worked on we've heard of before as you're uh, coming up uh, i've worked on a ton of food network stuff i've worked on iron chef i've worked on chopped before food all network kinds of star. things that would make you perfect for ink master uh yeah and i guess that's why they reached out to me and honestly i don't recall how they found me in the first place but i do remember interviewing for it and that was the, interesting kyle this is how excited i I, Kyle Turboss. I haven't said your name yet. My 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 assistant. I'm gonna call her my assistant. My wife came in and let me know. I can't calm down. <laughs> and and to, so Kyle Turboss. Sorry. Now now we have a, a almost proper introduction. When when you started as a production assistant, that's kind of low on the totem pole. Am I wrong? Yeah. You're doing like uh, grabbing coffees and foods and every other thing in between. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do what you do all the jobs that really nobody else wants to do when you're first starting out. Like anything. What kept you doing it? You, you were then a photographer as well, I'm guessing. So yeah, what kept me doing it was probably making a few dollars. You know, it was decent mm -hmm. money. Not necessarily as a PA, but like later on when you became a producer, you know, you did okay money wise and could support your other habits and stuff like that. But my, you know, my first career out of college was a photographer. Um, okay. I, worked, I was a photo editor and I worked in a magazine as their staff photographer. It's a small business magazine back in the day. Um, and I went to college for it and I had done it since I basically my childhood. I'd been photography club, I'd done photography, everything. And I was pretty obsessed with it. So by the time I turned 23, I was mm -hmm. pretty burned out on it and I wanted a change of life. And I had one of my best friends who's now a director of photography was working as a PA and he was like, I was waiting tables in New York. And uh, he was like, hey, do you want to come PA for me on this um, Liza Minnelli reality show? And I was like, yeah, I'll do anything to get out of this waiting job. 
So what was Liza Minnelli doing on reality? I don't think I've seen this. So back in, I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was like 2003. Liza Minnelli got married to a guy named David Guest. David Guest was a big time music producer. You probably heard of him. Um, Yeah. And he was always, he was always kind of a questionable character, but they got married later in life and they lived together on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And that yeah, was, people um, guessed whether or not he, he was actually if he was sexually involved in the relationship, right? Because he right. seemed effeminate. Okay, right, exactly. And uh, I know my musicals, man. He had male partners. Yeah, he, I believe he okay. had male partners. I'm not certain of the whole story. Um, they, but I was a PA and I worked there, and they were very. Both of them were incredibly sweet to me. Uh, but there's a, it was a crazy show. It was around the time when the Osbournes came out, and the Osbournes like absolutely blew up. Mm-hmm. Um. Everybody loved the Osbournes and it was getting huge ratings. So every network wanted to do it. And this was VH1. And it was kind of a great idea for a show, but it never got off the air because there was just too much drama involved. And like, it was too high of an expense. Liza Minnelli was throwing like these lavish parties with her husband. And they had like, um, I remember meeting Ray Charles and Beyonce Knowles was there. And this is, you know, it was 2003. It was and you're all as a as a lowly production assistant still. Yeah, yeah, but everybody was super sweet to me. I was just there, yeah. like basically just standing there, you know, doing whatever I needed to do at the you time. You met Ray like, Charles. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think I shook his hand, um, but okay. you know, yeah. I kind of nodded and said hello to everybody, and like they all said hello. And I remember I was like, "Wow, this is like, this is crazy." Um, and then there, those so they had this whole party that had tons of celebrities there, and the executive producer of the show got in a like some kind of quarrel with David Guest, not physical, but you know, mm-hmm. you know how it goes with producers want one kind of drama, and the cast is like, no, this is yeah, what we're they're doing. pushing it too far. They they pushed it too far, and they pushed it so far to the point that it got canceled. So it, this it was five days of work for me, and I was out of a job because they canceled the show. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit! But um, you also saw a glimmer of a whole life that you might not have known before. Yeah, it was I and I may never know that world again. It's funny because I live in New York now and I drive past their apartment all the time. And I was like, wow, I was actually inside that apartment with, you know, Ray Charles. And I'd have to mm-hmm. I have to dig up the list and see who was there because my memory is not that great. But I remember just being blown away by the people that were there. It's pretty cool. So that was that was kind of my introduction. Five days later, I was unemployed. So you you find work quick after or you're sought or you seek seek yourself. I, I did. I sought work quickly. So interestingly enough, the executive producer of the show who got in a fight with David guest decided he wanted to throw a rap party for a pilot that they had shot. And we were Mm -hmm. like, great. So we all went to the rap party and I was young and probably a little arrogant. And I approached him at the bar and I was like, well, I don't have a job now. Thanks a lot. And he was like, (laughs) wow. (laughs) <laughs> it was all he was obviously taken back and i just really didn't uh-huh. know or really didn't care at the time and uh, <laughs> right? he's like yeah he started talking to me and he's like look why don't you come in for an interview see if wait a second he liked your moxie is what you're saying <laughs> he liked my, he liked my moxie back then <laughs> or my or my ignorance back then um paint a picture of you moxie. back then for me because when i meet you you're a a physical kid you, you look like you got to run five miles a day and then you i know that you're into brazilian jiu-jitsu you, yeah. you got a face that looks like it was carved in the side of mount rushmore attractive <laughs> yeah. guy but man you're angular <laughs> you look like you should be a marblo man co- a commercial or something what were you at 23 when you when you're saying this to this guy and and was he 
were you more physically powerful than him? I'm curious. Not then, not really okay. then, because I wasn't really doing much, and I didn't really know. Like, um, it was a time in my life where I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, but it wasn't exercise. That's for sure. You know, were you more- into Brazilian jiu-jitsu at any time when you were younger, or this came not after? Not when I was younger, Brazilian jiu-jitsu came a lot later. So it, right. you know, if you want to get into that real quick, you know, I re- I worked a lot in my 20s mm. and realized and drank a lot and realized mm. that, you know, my body was quickly falling apart. And then um, so I started going to the gym, doing all that stuff. And I just got really bored of like running down the treadmill and lifting weights and all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted something new. And one of my best friends was like, I was 35 at this point, just trying to stay in shape by running and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he introduced me to jujitsu and uh, quickly fell in love with it. You know, changed me physically and mentally, put me in really great shape. I think when we, when we met on Ink Master 4, I was like two years into it. I think, okay. I, was, I, think I was a blue belt. I'm pretty sure I was probably just gotten my blue belt maybe. I know you were um, excited about it. And, and that, yeah. so when I hear that you're a photographer and you grew up photography club, it struck me during this conversations, I had no idea. Like you yeah. want to picture you as, as that, I guess, you know, if you're putting together yearbook. Yeah, that's true. I, <laughs> I went out, I took a weird life path and then I kind of went, and then I went back full circle later on. And I'm, now I'm just strictly trying to do just photography stuff, like camera work stuff. Going so no, no documentary, um, no, no, no audio with it or, or. Yeah, I'm not making any documentaries right now. Like I'll I'll shoot stills all the time, but uh, you know what I do, you know, documentary doesn't really pay well, and I'm never really used documentary as a way to make money. It was more for me to get into a scene and find out what's really going on and just kind of look at different people's perspectives on things. And so for me, that that that's why I love documentary photography because it's a tool for me, and I get access into that kind of stuff. And it's it's not. It, with photography, I don't feel like it's manipulative. I'm getting a a true photograph of the scene going on. You know, um, obviously context can be given to that. But when I when I was producing, I felt like that was a same type of insight. But it was I always felt a little manipulative, and I always tried not to be manipulative. If you know what I mean. I think so, I, uh, now. Now, do you mean as producing as as physically, or you're you talking about um, cinematography? I'm talking about producing so okay yeah which then you mean like coming as as contestants on ink master have said uh people producers will come to you and they'll feel they'll kind of plant ideas in into your head or try to elicit a reaction from you that then they're going to get on camera you you weren't so into that yeah i wasn't into that but that was but that was my job right yeah and that so and how that was do the, you do it good then or how, how do you do it i don't think I, I don't think i did it good and i don't think they liked how i did it because it was I, I guess i never really got good at it i always tried to be as honest as i possibly could you know what i mean but i you know you're in my position you're torn from both sides like i liked all i loved all the cast they were all great people um yeah. and the, you know but the producers are paying me and they're you know pushing me to go a certain direction um your job you know, is kind of to, to form a conspiracy of sorts against or for them. It's uh, your job is the, to follow storylines, you know, if there's interesting stories going on, but there's a lot okay. of prodding along the way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there, 
there's certainly producers, as you know, and there's obviously different styles of producers and everybody's <laughs> different and they have different ways of like throwing information at you or like, um, like I heard on, you know, on your podcast, Halo was talking about a scenario where he wouldn't talk shit in interviews. You know what I mean? And, and like mm-hmm. my tactic is like, Halo, they're all talking shit about you. Why would you not talk shit back to them? And I think that something clicked for him. I don't think he ever really talked shit. Halo is great. Uh, yeah. He was amazing. That, but, but you see where I'm going with this. And that's a situation that I never really felt comfortable being in. Some of them took it very well, it seemed. And uh, they, they probably excelled maybe is, is where you didn't go as far maybe. Yeah. Because ink masters in season 14, right. Mm. Is that what it is? I don't know. So you're shooting 15 right now. Shooting season 15. So yeah, there's people there that are doing it right because you know, whatever it is, however it's done and whether I believe in it or not, it's successful, right? It gets all the cast. Most of the cast members, I would say, have gotten a lot of publicity out of it. I would hope, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I, you follow, you guys follow it much closer than I do. I did season four. I wasn't asked to return probably because I couldn't see eye to eye. And also because of, well, I don't know for sure what the reason is, but you know, there was an incident that you and I were both involved in with one of the let's, hosts. Let's get to it. I, I <laughs> decide that I can't man that night right before I think you were working. I don't know who was working. I feel like it was a couple of girls. I don't know that I talked to you maybe until the next morning, actually, but I had asked you like, Hey man, can we roll before you had taken off for the day or whatnot? I was like, dude, can we wrestle? And you were like, dude, I'll break your arm. I was like, no, I really, (laughs) I I'm willing to risk that. And you were like, I would never get any kind of insurance clearance for that. And I was like, all right, well, what can I, can, can we go to a gym? And you're like, absolutely not. There's no way that they're going to let you get to a gym. And then I think I ended up filming that night and I gave them some of the most grotesque things I've ever said out of my mouth. That's like, right. I was just broken. Like my spirit was done. Yeah. I imagine you felt an effect of that too, because you kind of, must feel like an impetus of it right yeah absolutely tough and on I, your soul then i guess but and they need somebody that they can they can do that without compunction just like no that's my job i love it yeah like when i remember being in that situation and just trying to con- just manage it just control it and like my like i know i'm accused of the other thing but I felt like my job was to make sure that you, I saw where you were. I knew what kind of place you were in. I I feel for you. And my job Mm -hmm. is to like, just contain Kyle. So he doesn't, you know, go off the rails tonight and maybe possibly hurt somebody. I don't know. I felt like when, when, and I never talked to you about that after I talked to you about, Hey, let me get some energy release. And there, we couldn't do it. But then after that, I had other people coming to me. Most, mostly some of the girls, I can't remember all of them because honestly, it's kind of hazy, but everybody would ask me, how are you doing? And I'd be like, uh, you know, they'd be like, Oh, you're going to be fine. They would just come by like reassuring me of their own, you know, desire for that. Everything to be fine. Yeah, I didn't believe that. I mean, I I, I I like to believe that, you know, you and I, even though we're on like different teams, like we could see eye to eye and I obviously respect a lot. I don't know how you felt about me and that's irrelevant, but I was immense I, amount of respect. It went it went um above a place of 
I felt like it went above a place of reality TV and it's now somebody's life and that's much more important. So like, let's steer this in the right direction and hopefully we have good results. You know what I mean? Hopefully you don't put yourself in jeopardy and get kicked off the show because you have a very good chance of winning the show, you know? Um, I, I never, I lost so much hope that at that time. And then it came back to me that I had good chance when I was, um, I don't know if you know, this occurred, but after the fight, Andrea had me in the, in the car, you know, I'm going back home. She says, Hey, do you want to come back? And I'm, I'm amazed because, you know, I watched the challenge. Like you don't come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed, I'm like, how is this? And it just, it blew my mind more than anything at that moment. I had already had these ideas, but I didn't realize that it was a conspiracy against me, but it was working on my behalf. And I believe that by her asking me if I wanted to come back, it showed how much momentum I had to make it to the final. Wait, do you believe it was a conspiracy against you? Because if so, then I feel like I was, I'm pretty much just a pawn in the game. Right. Um, I mean, I still feel conspiracy is a funny word for what you, I mean, uh, Definitely, I think they wanted to turn the heat up on me because of what happened on season three between me and Nunez. They wanted him to be the tool and they wanted to get what they could from it. At one point, I should have gotten third place for geometry, in my opinion. And they just chose two people to reward for doing good that day. Yeah. Despite my critique being, and um, I watched this scientific experiment between a great monkey and a cucumber monkey where they get the same task and they get different reward. And I kind of begin to see that. Like, I'm like, I'm cucumber monkey, Scott's grape monkey. This is for a purpose of driving me to force to to have a confrontation with most likely Scott. But that's not how I'm aligned. When I feel that I can see the people pushing me, if someone's telling me, hey, man, you should go fight him. You know, he's saying all kinds of shit about you and your mom. I usually tend to turn to that person and recognize him as the instigator and would rather put my fight into that, you know? Yeah. So in that case, I kind of felt like, well, the only people I really, I felt like it was conspiracy against me, but to, I see that if it were, then it was probably to get people interested in my story, which it has done. And then it would have carried me. I believe probably on the very days that I was uh, blowing up, that it was probably about to be a time, I don't know if this is possible, but to where I would be rewarded with encouragement of some sort, like to to keep me in the game. If they had broken me at that point, I'm sure they would have wiped their hands with me. But I feel like, like that was the same point when Tattoo Baby broke down season three was where I was at. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's like formulaic, as you as you're saying. Yeah, like, like, I mean, or an understanding or, or, or um, knowing the numbers of the episodes they have, right? And yeah. how they're, they're, they're going to build the finale. It does best to have me on the finale. Yeah, definitely. For my own viewership, it has best, you know, to have me there was kind of a big thing. Even to ask me questions, you know, at the finale after that. It seemed like that was relatively important. Um, right. Oh, that, that, that was, that was my takeaway. You, you, I would have well, thought would have known more of this though, too. So no, but ex- it's far fetched. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's 
levels to this the whole game you know what i mean and there's there's people up at the top that are not you that you may not even see you know what i mean that are network executives that are like okay yeah very simple and straightforward about it you know and they're like there has to be they want drama you know what i mean so there must be blood yeah there's got to be blood and the more blood there is the more people are going to watch ink master and you know you get it it's in its 14th season so <laughs> I don't know. I, I I assume the credibility of the tattoo artists on it now is pretty good. I'm sure it probably has a good reputation, but you tell me because I don't really know. Um, the my experience, I I tattoo and travel, so I'm always around tattoo artists and tattoo art fans. I get a a small idea of people that still watch it, but the people that I see most are diehards, and they've kind of given up. It's gotten to be obviously contrived and they would be better suited now to actually break the fourth wall in a case, but they're trying to make, um, they're giving people reaction time for, so Navarro will say some stuff or, uh, Joe, Joel Madden will say something. Any one of the judges will say something about the challenge of the day. And what it used to be was the canned reactions that you guys would shoot, you yeah. know, the hot fish lunch on uh you know opened next to you on a subway or whatever it be and then we'd react they'd keep them and they'd program them and they catch our reactions too but they wouldn't give us any time for reactions now they'll say something and it's like they give each person seconds to talk about it. oh my god precision i didn't know it'd be precision today precision so crazy oh i hope i can make it through this and literally they'll have that much time and me yeah. watching from my experience, I'm like, they actually must take five minutes to even get that much, yeah. you know, yeah. and and it, it slows that pace down so much that it's almost painful to watch. I hope they get it figured out. But um, yeah, my experience is people I have not found anybody. It's like, yeah, I'm super excited. People say they still watch uh, occasionally, but they're not excited about it. They really miss they, the way they feel it was in the earlier days is now that's in my bubble too. So imagine that they probably think they want to, you know, make me their friend by cutting down new seasons or something. So, uh, however, um, I have a podcast, so I'm happy that they go. I want it to go on. That's the, I'm going to ride this wagon until the wheels fall off and start bandaging them, you know? Yeah. Um, can, can we go back to that night real quick? Yes, please. What can you just uh, your audience probably knows? Um, after I mean, I left at some point, I went home, and I'm not totally certain what happened, but I remember showing up again for work the next morning in an old warehouse. And then maybe you could take them through that exactly what happened and also remind me at the same time. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I discussed <laughs> the night after you left. Um, I forget the girls, but they were, you know, everybody's drug out. It's a long day and this is like overtime now. So, so it's kind of the, probably the shit job is, is being left. I'm guessing. I think one of the girls was Sarah, um, yep. Mandela or something, or, uh, Howie Mandel's cousin, they used to say, but it wasn't really, they had been lying to us the whole time. They'd been lying at any rate, her and another girl start posing questions and really prodding at me. And they want to get this reaction and the cameras, all of them seem to be focused on me. I know that's not true, but my own interpretation. And so I, I looked straight at the camera, which I knew I wasn't supposed to do. And I, I felt like it was a cry for help, but I discussed like 
plucking out Nunez's eyeball and then skull fucking him in <laughs> such dramatic detail that I was talking about playing with his other eyeball going in and out from the force and pressure. Um, my audience is over 21, I hope. But at any rate, that's what, and, and it wasn't, man, it's not a proud moment for me. You know, like at that moment, I felt so broken and disgusted that I was like a vomit of words of just yeah. anger. And it felt like it was directed at Nunez because that was right. It also felt like that's what they wanted. It felt like they wanted it so much that I was like, this is, they're going to get it. I've tried they, to be that was wanted because I, I honestly don't recall that. And I, I, mm -hmm. I have perspective on it maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe my mind's faded me, but I, I don't remember wanting that. And I remember what I did as a producer, because we, you know, you had discussed it with me and I obviously heard the other things that had happened. I reported it to my boss at the time um before we had even walked into that warehouse the next day just to make sure i'd send her an email and just to like cover my bases be like look I, right. there's a good chance that kyle might you know attack chris nunez today <laughs> um, and uh yeah low, those, low, those were kind of your words too the the you know physical you implied physical i believe so i mean i would have to dig up that email which i'm sure i still have somewhere what year was that? 2014. I'll I'll dig it up and see yeah. exactly that is. But yeah, I'm pretty 2013, sure. I think, actually. 2013, yeah. And I don't remember if she responded to me or if she just said okay or if she just ignored it. I, I don't I don't know. Right. Any, it, it um Oh, my wife says it is 14. 2014. <laughs> but so you didn't feel that they were necessarily pushing for a physical act. Do you feel that they were pushing for me? To, I, I I shouldn't say a physical reaction. I don't think they're expecting me to do what I've been used to doing in my life that has ended up with me needing to have, you know, I, I needed to look at that and actually make changes. That wasn't a perfect reaction at all. However, wow. it was what I was used to up until that point and what had landed me in jail at times and given me a record. Right. Um, So I felt like, it was what they, I felt like their intention was for me to go after Chris. I think they wanted me to do it more verbally. They had me go after Chris uh, one season um, on season three. And I made him look like, you know, he was like two foot tall because he came in drunk and disrespected the whole set. It, the, yep. You know, and I, I pointed out how that was unprofessional for everybody involved. By the and, way, that uh, mm -hmm. time I was there. So uh, with, with Nunez. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, um, got a reputation inside of our industry of being a coke addict and an alcoholic yeah he was notoriously late he'd, he'd notoriously come in like basically still drunk from the night before and like it was just i just thought it was highly highly unprofessional and how are you going to judge people's work when you're just loaded you know what i mean i don't know he, he called me after all this went down and did it? in an attempt of apology it wasn't much of an apology it didn't re it didn't have any of the, the um, requirements for one, I guess. There was no I'm sorry even. Uh, but it wasn't an, an attempted explanation. And he kind of explained that he is the Simon Cowell, that he was hired for a purpose. And he was living on a couch at the time that he was hired. He made some bad business choices. He didn't get to negotiate the contract in his best interest. The Ollie is is the color guy and he gets to have more fun and Nunez's job is to come in there and be a, a critiquing asshole. Well, well, that's the job you took. So 
Should yeah, I didn't feel bad about it. Yeah, either no. at that point. Either. So I'm just, I'll just real quick. So the next morning, basically, is what happened. I forget what the challenge was. Do you recall the challenge that when there was going to be explosions? Ironically, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it's see where I also. I mean, if I'm going to pull out some conspiracy and fall down a wormhole, it's really easy. When I started on season three, my first day, um, I'm. Kyle doesn't play well with others guy cast as such because they made me angry in casting and I line up on the only asshole inside of the jail cell we're tattooing inmates and it happens to be cell 13 and they tell me this is a random draw <laughs> <laughs> you know everyone else is kind of copacetic and, and kind of cool and my guy is literally trying to fight with me while he has a toothpick in his mouth uh, I remember seeing that <laughs> So I, you know, and that was the commercial, you know, that they always led with. They're like, hey, be interested in this season. Here's this guy with a vanilla ice haircut and this yep. guy with a toothpick in his mouth and they're going to fight. Yeah. And and, and then it, I, I feel, you know, it, it felt like that's who they had me cast as. And as much as I might try to play Kumbaya at times, uh, they they really wanted to turn up the heat, you know? So like on, on geometry day, it kept ringing in my ear. I'm like, why didn't I should have won in some, it, 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 I have a, a legitimate reason to argue for a win. And perhaps I didn't argue my piece enough, but I don't even get mentioned. And yeah. that would, there was all these bits of encouragement that you need to be an artist removed from your family. You're giving of yourself emotionally into every situation, including these, you know, interactions now with your client that are filmed. It takes a toll from you. And, yeah. and without that encouragement that you might get from a third place, you know, if you look back on my history of tattooing, not that you were there for season three, but I only won like one challenge. Yeah. And they're all like teammate challenges. So I was like, I'm getting carried through this thing. If I can't put together a record, I also know that when I get to season to the finale, it did me no good. I'm just third place. Yeah. So to me, there was a lot riding on it. And it felt like they were also pushing for me to try and fight back. But anytime I fight back, Nunez is already mad at me because I made him feel like a little child last time. So he's always looking for things. And he started right away with saying that I was crazy and my family is crazy. You know, I'm like, it's in my family. Like, yep, my grandpa was crazy. I probably am. I don't need, I haven't seen a lot of doctors about it. You know, I'm trying meditation and yoga type stuff, but back then it was just wheat and we didn't have it. Right. And so to come wow. out and start calling me crazy, I felt like, would you go up to a guy in a wheelchair and say, Hey, I can beat you in a race. You, you know, you're, you're certainly not gonna, um, you, it kept going on until eventually it spread. And that's why a uh, little uh, toothpick mouse, little racist Ollie, he went ahead and said, huh, I called him crazy. And it's like, well, no, you Yosemite Sam impersonator who should be drawn in a tilt a whirl. You didn't call me crazy until he had said it like seven times. So now it's spreading. That's what's getting me angry. It's like, yeah, the stigma's going and you guys seem to think it's okay to mess with crazy people until the point that they might respond. But oh, we'll see if you like it, I guess was kind of my thought in that. And I didn't see, I, I still even now, I can't see without a major change and without, uh, and I couldn't see that coming out of Nunez, who somebody and I were fighting with. And then after I have a confrontation with him uh, and, and Andrea asks me if I want to come back, 
I think, wow, they must have had it planned that I'm going to deal with crazy adversity, but somehow pull a win out of my ass occasionally and then go to the finale so they can build me up against Scott, the grape monkey. They're going to have cucumber monkey, grape monkey, and it's the big head to head. And now everybody's tuning in. But I fucked up just now by not knowing the game plan. They never come to me and they said, hey, Kyle, here's the thing. We're going to be rough on you. You know, at least they did that for Abraham. God did that for Abraham in the desert. He's like, listen, 400 years, it's going to be tough on your kids. But then it's just aces. Just power they, through it. Yeah, power through it. Um, they, they removed the hope. And also, I still don't know, though, that with no wins or anything like that, do I go on stage and I, I just for, get forgot. So there's a, num a, a portion of it that recognize the importance of being remembered. And uh, 10 years later, I'm bald now. Uh, I have to shave my head because I, I don't care to try and use Rogaine or whatever. But people line up to come and have me sign an autograph for them, talk to them for a second and take a picture. Nice. I'm, yeah, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not mad about it. And yet I'm I, certainly at this point. Almost yeah. if I had known, I feel like it might have gone differently too, but I was emotionally so, broken. Mm -hmm. Do you does this does this show like actually help tattoo artists? Do you think it like at the end of the day it publicizes them enough to like like maybe yeah. artists to like you know some of you a lot of you guys were very well known when you came into my season, but I imagine there's been a lot of cast members at this point. Is it like is it beneficial to these people that are you still know something? I keep wanting to, I mean, that's kind of what this show exists to delve into. Some people won't return my text messages or my emails and I have their straight up number. Like I know them personally. And so I know that some people are bothered by, it. and and usually it's going to be somebody that was really good. That was so had, had a great clientele prior. And then this has hurt their um, ability to get the stylized pieces that they want because now they're dealing with more people. But more of them are uh, just your run of the mill. So I want a pocket watch. I want it set on these dates and I want my parents' names in it. You know, and they, in, instead of like, I want you to breathe life into this idea. So, it ba so like basically the result is it takes away some artist integrity because you're, you do become so busy and like overwhelmed that you're not actually focusing on what got you there in the first place. If you take advantage of Ink Master, yes, because the audience is soccer moms and and such, you know, and, and not heavily tattooed. But right. there were people prior that were, I, I don't want to name names, but they were amazing artists and so well-known and booked up years in advance. Yeah. That now they actually disassociate themselves from it. And then there's also Mystical Mike, who has not, I'm trying to get him to turn around on it. Because he should embrace it. He's only been on two episodes and he's one of the most known characters. That's ever. right. Yeah. Like he, he's up there with me. I had to fight a dude and all he had to do was like comb his hair out of his face and be cocky. And uh, so, so like he should, if anybody, you know, he should take advantage. But some, he's, he's hurt by it because he, he's, uh, he dwells on some of the um, negative and there's so much negative. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, there's a there's a lot there's a a lot of talented tattoo artists that go through there. Um, I can name a ton of them. I'll I'll name one right now. Halo, obviously, mm -hmm. we both know he's pretty incredible at what he does. Amazing. Um, and like, beyond with uh, his, so like, his own oil yeah. paintings and all. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he, I mean, he's endless, endless. That guy, but he, like, I don't know. I feel like I always felt like that was maybe the wrong place for him. I don't know. It's certainly the way he was treated. That's I don't know. Like they sent him home, and he, I don't feel he deserved to. They're like, well, you did another beautiful, flawless tattoo, but it looks so similar to the last, the last beautiful, flawless tattoo. Despite right. it fitting what the canvas wanted and it fitting her body and being flawlessly beautiful, we are going to send you home. Right. It 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 felt like um. I think I I don't know. It felt like there's always little controls, and I've especially knowing now trying to see through somebody's bias. You know, if 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 I'm as a judge and I'm not very full of integrity, then it's very easy for me to say, oh, that guy's not going to win. Fuck him. You're a douchebag. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, the we, we go forward. That we had, especially with the caliber of judges that we had when I was Thank there. You. Mm -hmm. I mean, I look, I, I don't know where they are now. And I barely remember. Well, they've changed. Uh, um, you, you didn't care for the judges yourself. But the whole thing with Nunez is well, he after the incident with you and him, he came after me, and he he blamed me for you attacking him, and I was what really what could, I was really taken back, and then I realized that I'd been thrown under the bus by a higher up producer than myself, and um, it was absolute bullshit because that's not all what happened. If anything, I just tried to protect the peace. And when, I have some notes here, and that's what I have written that I wanted to make sure I asked you about was if you thought there was a chance you were a scapegoat. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a scapegoat. I was definitely a scapegoat. So, I'm because if the star is mad at them, contracts go a lot rougher when they negotiate the next upcoming seasons. Yeah, like I'm, you know, in my position, I'm I'm the supervising producer. I oversee the producers, and there's people above me, and you know, I'm I'm an easy scapegoat and I'm easily replaceable, you know, as the only supervised producer, like there's millions of supervising producers. So I'm expendable. So you do, can do you feel that, that that was, it would be as a necessity to appease uh, Nunez then? I, I mean, I think so. I mean, that's my recollection of the whole incident. Um, when I was clearly pissed about it, but like, I don't know. I, I didn't want to be in that environment anyways. I wasn't driving with the other producers and, I was it was felt very manipulative to me, and it felt it was a it was a it was the darkest. I've been on a lot of television sets. I've probably been on over five hundred television sets. That was the darkest place I've ever been in terms of television. Like we saw some shit. There's a lot mm -hmm. of shit that went down in that house because that's you know that's how people crack. You take people out of their normal everyday lives where they have a routine and they have a perfect routine, whether they exercise or they eat healthy or what they meditate, whatever it is. And you put some, uh, you know, 12 people in a house with strangers who don't know each other and don't give them any space at all. And they don't have any routines and no way to exercise really. And, you know, people are going to lose their minds. And well, as you see, that's where the drama comes from. Cause a lot of people end up losing their minds <laughs> and it's tough. It's a tough situation and it's high pressure. Like there's with top chef. Did you experience anything like that prior? I never worked on Top Chef, but I did work I'm on. Sorry, um, what was? I worked on Food Network Star, which is very similar, but they're just they're basically creating the next Food Network Star, like a Guy Fieri or a Jeff Moore or somebody like that. And yeah, okay. like it was a. I would say it was a little less innocent what we were doing. You know, we're we're you're trying to pit people against each other to keep it exciting and keep it competitive. 
And for me, that was always the goal. Like, let's keep it interesting. Let's pit them against each other. Uh, Jeff, uh, Steve's a way better chef than you. Look at, you know, whatever, whatever producers do just to get people talking and engaging the audience. Like, obviously, you want your audience to be engaged into what the cast member is saying. So you want the right. cast member to speak. And that's, that probably goes back to the point where they're like, you know, Kyle, speak up, speak up to the judges, you know, talk shit to the judges, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they did, they wanted to hear your voice and the yeah. audience would want to hear your voice as well. So that's why in production's defense, that's why they ask for that kind of stuff. So you're, it's more engaging. Yeah. It's a weird dichotomy. You know it's that weird... you need to, to be even remembered, but at the same time, yeah. you're, you're worried because when you defend against, uh, in my opinion, they were stupid judges, uh, meaning that they weren't well-versed in art or even tattoos. And when you argue against somebody who thinks the spine of a moray eel is in its back and would be visible from its back, uh, instead of no, and, and then t willing to talk about it as the with the illusion of knowledge. That's what I should point out, because if he doesn't know, whatever, most people I didn't know until I looked it up. But right. a moray eel spine is not on its back. It's actually deep inside of it because it gets into small crevices. So for him to easily say some shit just off out of his asshole as though he knows, they let yeah. me know that he's not. You and, and they had many other theories in um how black would work in a tattoo that they would almost conflict each other with the way that they even described them. Right. They would say that black puts things back far away from you, but at the same time, they would express how it would bring things forward and make it the most prominent thing in the tattoo. Well, it doesn't do both. Gray puts things far away because there's ambience in between you, and they didn't use that. They tried to imagine everything was a silhouette in their myopic viewpoint of tattooing right oh well me complaining let's talk <laughs> about today i think i think we've probably beat this thing enough i don't know there there might be more questions that that we would come back to thankfully this place this podcast is called straight to the point completely off topic so if we have, <laughs> if we have to come back to ink master we can but Perfect. since then you've been doing some beautiful photography i mean I, it's gorgeous it really is and it's intense it's thought provoking it also shows me that you're there yeah and that's that's exactly what i'm trying to do i'm trying to get my whatever photos i'm taking out to people who wouldn't necessarily see them all the time and just engage them with bringing them to a situation where they never would have been you know for example mm -hmm. january 6th you know you're like, right there in it man your heart had to be pumping yeah yeah, I didn't go in the Capitol. I was, a little, you know, I'm I'm a little more reserved now at my older age, so mm -hmm. I kind of stayed back. I stayed. I was at the fence line. I was there when they broke it down, and I definitely got, you know, pepper sprayed and bear maced and all that fun stuff. Um, but I didn't go in, and I I do have a lot of friends that actually went into the Capitol and and actually captured some pretty incredible images that are, you know. As um, photographers, as uh, supporters of Donald Trump, as, as what? Oh, no, as as documentary, as journalists and mm -hmm. photog documentary photographers. And, Did they and face repercussions from that? Can they? Um, not really. I mean, they're, okay. you know, they're covering, you know, if they're, they they're like peaceful spent, observers. Isn't there? There's a protection for them. Am I wrong? In terms of what you mean from the mob? Uh, from or, legal recourse for for. Uh, yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Like some yeah. of these people going in, um, we're in there to do harm. 
some. I know that Tucker right. Carlson has proven to the world now that it was actually just a sightseeing <laughs> event. Um, but yeah. some of them were there to do harm, and and to film that, then you have well, well, those people would have a legal recourse against them. Whereas, as a photographer, I'm hoping your friends would would be able to say we were filming. Yeah, they were. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that I mean, probably it's illegal to go on capital property without permission um, for anybody. But, right. you know, as journalists they're you know, I don't think they're going to prosecute them. They weren't there doing any harm. Um, they all got most of them. I know got harmed. Um, a very good friend of mine had like three broken ribs from being in the tunnel. It was in pretty bad shape. Actually still feels it to this day. Um, the tunnel there were there were more than one tunnel. Was this the tunnel where um this is the tunnel I like where I believe it's in, um it's in the the west side, the front entrance of the Capitol. Whatever, whatever that where somebody are. somebody got hurt there. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh it's where um what was the officer's name, Michael Fanone. It's where he was okay. inf infamously dragged out th from the mob and down the steps. Uh and he was beat pretty badly, pretty severely. That's that was I the think with that my a friend was thin. My thin friend blue line. That. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A I thin mean, blue line a, flag, right? I mean, I don't know if he was he probably was beaten with a thin blue line flag. Um, there was a lot of them flying and there was a lot of cops being beat with them that I saw. Uh, so crazy. Wild. It's so pretty crazy. crazy. It's pretty it's crazy. Against, but, it's it's its know. own antithesis. It's like the opposite. I don't know. When, it, when you have people like Tucker Carlson downplaying this now, you know, almost mm -hmm. a year and a half later, and, you know, you're just going to get people riled up again. People are going to start to believe that that was harmless, that they were just showing him around and you know what maybe they were showing the q and shaman around i i didn't really get into the story and i don't watch tucker carlson i honestly don't really know what's going on with it that much anymore but the little footage that i saw looks like there's police kind of guiding him through and yeah because that's like three or four hours into it and that point like the police have thrown up their hands like those guys got their asses kicked to him so i i don't know what was going on in that scenario i don't want to comment on it but after Ink Master, I basically was like, I produced a few more things, a couple dumb shows, and I was kind of burned out on it. And I was not into it anymore. And I just kind of, I had a family and I wanted to stay home in New York. I was traveling all the time. And so I kind of switched careers and I joined the union and I started doing like more camera work on movies and TV and stuff like that. Um, just Which, which union home. would that be? <laughs> Uh, my union's local 600. Uh, it's an International Cinematographers Guild. Awesome. Um, it's great. And I love it. But, you know, when the pandemic hit, we immediately shut down and then everybody was kind of stuck. And, you know, everybody did their own thing during the pandemic, whatever they did to keep themselves entertained. And I just I, I'd always taken photos, but I really just wanted to shoot all the time. So I just started going out, picked up my camera again, kind of fell in love with photography all over again and just started shooting and i'd always done like um you know social justice type stuff and that kind of stuff i've been in standing rock and photographed that and you know so when all the protests and the riots broke out you know i, I wanted to document them and that's what kind of where i started instinct. yeah it was like a natural instinct and i really i you know i enjoyed it i liked doing it i liked creating images and people seem to what be about the rush well. is, is there's got to be a rush involved too am i wrong there's an app. Yeah, there's an absolute rush going on and it's crazy. Um, and it, and it was, 
I don't know, it just kept driving, pushing me to go more places and just shoot more stuff. And then, you know, I mean, I, the, the, obviously the biggest rush I had was at January 6th because that was, I was a little, curious. yeah, that was like, you know, I showed up at, I showed up at the mall where Trump was speaking and it was mm. just a, it was a strange vibe. It was like a dark, cold, really gray day. Like, and I got over to the lawn where he was speaking. I, I can't remember who was on stage when I was there, but it was just a lot of people. Like I couldn't even get close. And I was like, I'm not going in there. And um, so I just kind of like walked around on the outskirts and stuff. And people looked possessed. Like I felt like people were looking were possessed. People were pissed off. There was a lot of angry Americans that I wasn't aware of how many people were that pissed off that, you know, because Trump had, because somebody had lied to them and told them that the election was stolen. Which have you seen any of the January six hearings, uh, where they talk about what was going on, where you were possibly at at any time? Uh, I, I, I was tracking them at the beginning, and like I was watching like the FBI's most wanted list and all that stuff. And there's like um, there's sedition trackers and stuff that I was keeping tabs on to see if I had recognized anybody. Or if like I had photographed any of those people or anything like that, uh, but I I'm and I'm sure there was you know I saw I, I I don't know how many people were that that day, but I'm guessing thousands. Um, did there did, was there ever like a did they ever give a number of how many people they thought were there? I, I've heard so many conflicting numbers. I don't have any absolute. I, I heard reports coming from Trump supporters as being in the millions or some estimates as being in the millions, but I do not believe it was anywhere near that. I think it might have been as many as 10,000. Yeah, but, I would say about 10,000. Like, definitely not millions. That's crazy. There was a lot of people there, for sure. There yeah. was a lot of people there, but definitely not in the millions, maybe 10,000, maybe more. But they were then they on were, the on the outside of where Trump was speaking, as it was told to us by the January six hearings, at least, uh, and whatever credibility anybody wants to give to them, was that the feeling was people did not want to go past the magtrometers that would tell if they had weapons to listen to the speech, because so they stayed on the outskirts and they didn't crowd his speech as much. Um, I mean, that's certainly possible. I mean, I, I didn't see any where I was and I'm pretty sure most people were, I, I assume that most people were armed and, um, <laughs> and a lot of, obviously there's like a, a lot of military people there, which I was very surprised about and people that look like they're ready to go. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. This is weird. I think Trump started speaking and. I don't really care what he has to say. So I just started walking towards the Capitol to see what was going on. And then I just kind of looked back and there was just massive people just coming in and things just started getting hairy. And then it was just basically like chaos. And I really, I, I thought it would get shut down early on. Like I, I was like, all right, well, they're going to send the national guard really quick. And this is going to get shut down fast. Yeah. And they got to yeah. the fence and they started breaking it down. And I was like, these cops are going to die today. And I was very nervous. Like, this is crazy. And there was just an incredible amount of violence. Like just whatever weapon you could get your hands on. And most people had weapons. They had flagpoles or they had pipes or they had whatever, like people had at this point, mace. the vibe had changed as the, well. The, the vibe was, it was just more, it was always a bad vibe, but it was just very aggressive, like over the top aggressive. Like we're attacking this capital. 
without any guns. Like we're basically at war overtaking this capital without any guns. But I mean, they did have guns. There's absolutely guns there, and that's been proven. Right. So, um, and, but you know, I think but they, they weren't using them. They weren't. They didn't use any guns. Nobody used any guns that I'm aware of, except for when uh, Ashley Babbitt got shot. Mm. So, um, but it was as violent as hell. And all the bear mace and all the pepper spray in the world and whatever else they were using really didn't seem to bother the Trump people. They were pissed off and they were moving in. And there was a lot of them. And there's no way that the Capitol Police could stop them. And then the D.C., the Metro Police showed up. And I was just it felt like it was going on for a long time with no National Guard. And I didn't really have cell phone service, so I didn't really know exactly what was going on. And then obviously what I gather later is they held the National Guard to not go. That's a big problem. So I've heard as such, yes. Um yeah, and uh it was a crazy it was a crazy thing. And then yeah, at one point I Meanwhile was, you're walk- shooting are you being bothered? Uh, um, are our people, uh, are police bothered by you? Are, are protesters bothered by you? Or, or now, is everybody uh, happier there? They were not. There was no happiness at all. It was the most miserable situation of my life. Um, early on, when I was at the National Mall, a couple people were like, "What do you got that helmet for?" Because I had, I had a helmet on my side just in case mm-hmm. anything crazy broke out, which I always do as a documentary because I don't want to get hit over the head for something and be knocked out right. for taking photos. Um, right. Because you're looking through that viewfinder too. You don't have nearly the same yeah, uh, have, peripheral. Yeah, yeah and it's it's super dangerous, especially in that kind of action. You know, I, had, I did have a bulletproof vest on underneath everything. Uh, I didn't want people to know I had that on, so I just wore it underneath all my other gear yeah. um, just in case and... I'm very happy that I did not that anything crazy happened, but, but you must've um, felt that was coming then prior to, I mean, you knew you were going to be there, but to bring a bulletproof vest, then you had some idea as I did. I think anybody sitting at home seemed to have a better idea than Congress, maybe even the president that something really in the FBI, it was fucked up going to happen. Like we knew it. I've had many people exclaimed to me, you know, that Donald Trump really did nothing wrong. And I can see their point of view on this. At the same time, I find it remarkably uh, telling or even almost copable. It's almost copable. If that's the, it makes him almost liable with how easy it was for it to stop when he made one tweet. When I mean, he, made he incited one- it. You can say that he, he didn't. He, he, he incited that. I mean, he's the reason I was there because uh, he tweeted January 6th, Washington, D.C. It's going to be wild. He's the one who said that, you know, mm-hmm. he started the whole thing with that tweet. And that's when I knew I was like, I'm going to be there on January 6th. And then the momentum started picking up. People are like, what's going on? What's going on? It's getting bad. And journalists talk. Obviously, journalists talk all the time. And I got a lot of friends who are journalists who were like, yeah, we're going down. I was like, all right, I'm going down. And it was and you- I, it was what's that i was wondering do you head up with other people or you go by yourself in, in your own vehicle you guys kind of I, cool? I went by myself i had my good friend john and a couple other guys i know went down uh the the day before on the fifth i couldn't go down so i um left new york at like three or four in the morning to drive to dc mm-hmm. and uh and I, I remember driving down it was dark but they were car- i was 
going pretty fast. I would say I was doing 80 on the highway. There were cars and buses like flying past me with Trump flags. And like, mm. it was madness. And this is like, you know, between the hours of four and seven in the morning. And DC's and, already got shit traffic. DC's already got shit traffic. There, it's, it's just, and like people are driving like maniacs. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, oh man, today's going to be the end of the Republican party. Like these guys are just going for it. And um, which obviously wasn't the case at all. It Have you been surprised them. by that? I'm I'm shocked by that. But it, but you know just you know people don't care. People it's just, just a, want it's what it's they want. different. I think maybe uh, and I imagine it happens to many people in a generation. Um, but in this, uh, it, my growing up in my history and understanding of the Republican Party as based off of you know Ronald Reagan. Of it during my youth, and then even as my history, as we learned about uh, the Cold War with Eisenhower, and it, it, my understanding, and then to see Republican notions now turning softer on Russia than Democratic Party yeah. notions is really remarkable to me. I, I just never would have thought that I would see that. Me too. And, like, I, I've always known Russia as an enemy from every single mm-hmm. president I've ever had in my lifetime. You and know, also it's staunchly from Republicans, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It felt it felt like it, uh, Hillary during the Hillary time. And because of that Russia gate, I think that switched people's opinions of sorts. And I, I've been hearing all kinds of people explaining to me that they think we're spending too much on Ukraine. Meanwhile, yeah. I also have friends who have that are over in Ukraine or have friends in Ukraine. I shan't, can't say I have any friends in Ukraine, yeah. but I have, I have friends from all over the world. And uh, I, I have one friend that is impassioned about trying to help artists get out of Ukraine um, and also to find support for it. And, and, you know, and to basically fuck Putin and his fucking face, piece of fucking shit. They listen yeah. to me in Moscow. I don't know if that just got some Novacek on my door. Um, but you I, might get I guess maybe your door. It's okay. You're it's, in America. The only place in Russia that uh, I'm listening to is in Moscow. So I figure that's. <laughs> well, shout out so... to Moscow. I mean, they, you know, you, you're getting the American version of it here. And what what the Russians are best at is propaganda It's throughout their entire country. And guess what? It's in America, too. And that's why you have talking heads that are supporting the Russians who invaded Ukraine, which is absolutely wild because Russia is like our number one enemy and always has been. So. Mm-hmm. I'm just and even as we're turning this, yeah, and they will see that the, there is a, a sentiment f- almost for Russia, or at least weak on fighting against Russia. But there is a great sentiment against China, who is currently seeming to ad- to align themselves with Russia. But still, yeah. Russia is kind of the good guy in the situation, and China's the bad guy because that's yeah. where I got my TV, and I hate right. fucking dealing with that thing. Right. It's it's a wild world out there. And that's why, you know, if if somebody were to ask me what my advice is on watching the news, you know, my advice is don't watch it. No, that's not true. But, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot. You're going to get a you're going to get mixed opinions and their opinions everywhere you go. It's easy to sway an opinion or some type of fact to make it your opinion, you know. And sure, the United we spend a lot of money in Ukraine. You know, we spend a ton of money. But that, you know, we're people will argue with me all they want but we're protecting our democracy while doing so maybe you know maybe we're using the ukrainian military as pawns i'm not sure because they're the ones on the front lines and they're the ones that are having to deal with this and they're doing a fucking pretty good job from what i hear 
and what I see. Um, so, you know, of course we should give them something, you know, we should give them something and all the other countries are giving them something. And, you know, I mean, it's well, a sovereign nation. It should be. At one point, Eisenhower, I believe when he was turning the helm over to Kennedy, gave a farewell speech that explained the necessity of creating a vast military industrial complex. And that was the first time the term was ever used. He also explained the dangers and throughout his pre the dangers of a vast military industrial complex fighting for its or getting enough coal legislatively and in the hearts of Americans to then subvert the will of the people and begin to serve its own needs as a bomb maker makes money making bombs. But if they all go on a shelf, he ain't going to make, he can't make too many bombs. You need to use them. Yeah. Um, but there was an idea that Eisenhower put forward that I, I think it's the only way that it works. It makes sense to me is that if the weapons that you create and the supply chains that you create are all for the purpose of spreading something that you know to be good in the world that we believe democracy to be, mm -hmm. then it is all an honorable endeavor. And as soon right. as it gets to be for its own needs, then greed will take over. The honor is gone. And now we are, I think most people would say that we're very similar. We're, th we're very much there though. We're damn so close. I, I think it's easy for people then to say, well, fuck it all, whatever the military, because fuck them. They're just uh -huh. using money. And um, I wanted to talk on something though, that I could, if, if from, from your perspective, uh, because we are talking also about the news and in 1985, we got rid of a fairness doctrine that kind of governed how news went. And then we found ourselves with 24 hour news. People said it would never work. You wouldn't have that much to talk about, but pretty soon Ted Turner was running CNN and, uh, Republicans were mad as heck about it. And they yeah. formed a Fox news that Rupert Murdoch, uh, who's one of the, he talks to, I believe, 25% of the world's population. He has that much media pull. He yeah. then um, answered with his own tabloid-style 24-hour uh, news programs. I believe, and I, th I think you'll, you'll agree, I guess I'm just saying this to say this so that we have an <laughs> understanding here, but that when, our, when this happened, the money that paid for any programming on that show came from commercials. There, there wasn't gov government subsidies necessarily. It was from the commercials that they could. And if I run a commercial um, after I tell you something, that, so, so if I say, actually, gravity is not real and magnets are holding us down to the earth, right? You're like, what yeah. the fuck? And now buy some of my catheters. I, I don't know. I don't really feel like buying your catheters. Now, if I tell you something, hey, just like yesterday, gravity is real. You're absolutely right. Same thing. Your perspective is assured. Buy some catheters. There's a there's more of a pull to something that upholds your perspectives. Now, even if it's right. anger, if you're angry at the other side, and like still reasons to be angry at them. They're terrible people. Good job on you. Buy some catheters. Yeah. Stick yeah. this up your dick. You fucking idiot. You love it. Because yeah. because you're programmed, I, f I feel like at that point we've lost 
all news, like all real, true journalistic integrity. And now we're to a point where people don't even push back on these things. And someone like Joe Rogan, who has a great fucking podcast, an amazing person, uh, so I'm told, I don't know. Uh, but he says something like, uh, you know, hey, they got litter boxes in second grade because kids are identifying as cats. And it is fact in conversation that I have had with people that I've had to be like, no, you're not absolute 100 about this. This does not exist. You're absolutely mistaken. I, I heard that. So that story is not mm -hmm. true. That story is not true. There's no truth to it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it was just a meme that he had read and he doesn't have any journalistic <laughs> integrity. He's no, and I'm not saying he should, but no, his audience yeah. should understand that. I feel like it's just that we have such dumb audiences. And even me, I have people on, I can't push back on everything they say, or, right. you know, they're kind enough to come on. So I understand right. that as a podcast person, yeah. Joe's, Joe's just saying some shit that works into a conversation and makes it interesting. But right. then somebody else at the water cooler then tells it to me. I, I was told this by, um, kids in school I, one of them was 13 years old a friend of my son's and i i questioned them they told me yeah there are litters in the schools and i'm like your school no not my school but there's some around and i'm like this is how far it's gotten there are no litter boxes in your school no it's just oh here we are at this point where you can say anything and well, somebody yeah. can believe it yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous that we even have to have this conversation if you think about it. You know what I mean? Like, because mm -hmm. Joe, like, I mean, people don't understand how to, people do understand, but people need to have a better understanding of how to take in information. You know, do, it's really do we like, not want to. My my aunt tells me at one time when we were arguing, I was I was scared by January 6th and she was not. And that we're talking about, uh, you know, I'm expressing some fear to her. She's she lives way out in the country in Lennon and uh, she's passed now. But she says, you know what? She just kind of cuts me off because I seem to have too much worry. She says, you know what? You know what news I like? I like that Epoch Times. Yep. And it just like dawned on me. I'm like, you like news? A, a source of news? Like I like Fiji water. You know, right. like right. nice water is good. But wait a second. I don't know that you're supposed to like news. It seems yeah. problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the, what is it, the Mulong Fong group or? Yeah. The Gong Fong. Uh, yeah. I've, I've studied them slightly after she brought them to my attention and they, uh, they do interesting things. And I see their flyers, not for the Epoch Times, but for their other group, the Sunyi or whatever, all the time. I love sushi. So anytime yeah. I go to the sushi joint, I see that they are, um, as I understand, indoctrinating the ideas of traditional Chinese culture uh, as though Christianity has always been embedded with, with it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a, a straight wild. revisionist history for their own um, perspective desire for it to be this way. That is counter to truth. It's just amazing that this endeavor could be uh, gone after. Yeah. And then that it might be successful. This is how propaganda works. And yeah. Do, oh, yeah. is there a point that we all get smart? I guess is that's kind of your job, no. right? It, no? no, I mean, I mean, I, it, you know, you're going to get what's people are going to watch what's popular. People are going to want to hear what everybody else is hearing always. Nobody. And like, if you watch Fox news, you don't want to hear a different opinion. You like that opinion, which you think is, you don't think is an opinion. You think that's news. So, and you know, I get, I do get a lot of my news through independent journalists, you know, either on Twitter 
is a good place to find independent journalists. And you obviously got to suss them out and you got to sort them out and see what their background is and see if they're good or if they're not that type of thing. And then, uh, you know, for me personally, it's not for everybody's, but I love photojournalists and I get a lot of my news that way because photojournalists are just going to post 10 pictures of what's going on and just give you a couple words about exactly what is happening here without any crazy context or opinions to it. And, you know, and you can you read get... from the picture, especially yeah, if it's well there. taken. Yeah. You see what's going on. I mean, that's the goal. That's my goal is to give somebody an honest take of what's going on. And like, you know, that's also not easy because yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could, I mean, I'm sure I could have taken a really nice, sweet picture of somebody at January 6th where people were like, Oh, that's a cute photo, you know, but <laughs> Dude, you're, you, I mean, yeah, sweet. What, you're not a wedding photographer at all. The, your photos are just that. They're extremely compelling. Like, easy, top of the line. Are you are you submitting them for rewards or anything? I'm curious. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't really. Like, the, the, there's a thing with, like, um, documentary photography is what I love to do. I'm like, I, 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 early on, I submitted a few for um some awards and stuff and i never got anything and i just kind of stayed away from that because i felt like it was taking the love out of it for me and once when you start getting money involved in like politics and media and everything else involved in your photos then it just becomes something else it becomes a job and it's that's no what longer... ruined surfing yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and um you know and I, I i have another job you know i just do Stuff photography now on film sets and movie set or tv sets and stuff like that and that's how i can make my money to go fund me to go shoot you know something interesting that i want to thanks for that's an upcoming question for sure i was curious where this money comes in from because the photos i see i haven't had to pay a dime for yeah yeah you don't have to because i'm not charging anybody and you know i want you to see my photographs i want to put that stuff out there you know i want people to like them whether they like the content or not like you know, a lot of people didn't want to see Black Lives Matter photos. And okay, I get that. You know, and a lot of people didn't want to see January 6 photographs. And it's like, okay, I get that too, but I'm still going to show them. I'm still going to yeah. show you, what, you know, my perspective on what's going on. You take what you want from that. You know, I'm not telling you, I'm not giving you an opinion. I'm not telling you much about it. I'm just telling you that this is what was going to be the event. Here we are. Going down. Yeah. And, and, you know, also, by the way, you know, police officers were killed at this event. So not so harmless. At a Black, Black Lives Matter event? No, I've never, no, okay. I've never been to a Black Lives Matter event that was that as violent as January 6th. Not even close. Okay. You know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of arrests and I've seen a lot of police violence and I've seen a lot of protesters also attack police, but not even close to the extent of what I saw at January 6th. January 6th was like a full-on, from my perspective, it was like a full-on war without pulling drawing guns, right? It was like hand-to-hand combat. And it, and for me, you know, being in it, it was scary. I was That was the most scared I've been in my life. And I fit in pretty good. Like, you know, I'm blonde hair, blue yeah. eyes, white skin. Like, you know, I could easily be a Trump supporter. And, yeah, the, the only thing that would get you scary to anybody, there's a camera and they're looking for CNN credentials or something. It, then yeah, you're getting and hung. I, and, I, and I saw that. And I literally watched CNN get dragged out by their credentials down the steps and like basically had everything tossed to the side and they were tossed to the side. And it was a, a female producer and her cameraman. And I was pretty sure that they were physical. Get the shit kicked out of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, 
Yeah, they dragged him down steps. Like they basically like pulled him off the Capitol and like dragged him down steps. And you know, it's it's CNN. Yeah. I'm sure they're being intrusive. You know, I'm sure they're trying to ask people questions, and the, these right. people didn't want to answer their questions, especially when you're CNN. You're the, you know, you're the yeah, opponent. The enemy. You're, you're the enemy. So Where we've like, come to at least. What's that? Where we've come to. I mean, I I yeah. felt like that was the first uh, that Donald Trump was was an inciter of that, as well as an interesting when he talked to police officers at the beginning of his presidency or possibly when he was conjoling them during the primary um, to support him. He was talking about maybe don't be so gentle when you're putting the criminal in the back of the car. Right. And uh, that's I mean, to me, and people support it and they like it. To me, it was un-American. It's there. I guess I, I'm I'm from the streets. I, uh, I I've got a criminal record, mm-hmm. but I feel at any time these things could have been circumvented with um, one by using art, by by giving me an idea that art that I was okay as an artist that I I could have a place inside of society instead of just being starving artist. It's like the only thing we knew about artists is that Van Gogh cut his ear off and the rest of them were starving. Right. <laughs> And we keep taking it out of our whole out of our schooling. Um, you know, the first thing to go is going to be art. The second's music, and now we're just left with gym and football. Those are necessities. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we're losing. We're going to lose history too. Is that so, going to go? Is that I mean, really I mean, on it, the? I mean, it, it, it could be if things go in the wrong direction. You know, I, I mean, we kind of are. I, I, are uh, there, there are people that don't want to teach certain curriculum. Uh, what is it? The CRT, I find amazing because it's called cri- critical race theory. Right. And I don't know enough about it. I'm sure I'm pissing somebody off as they listen to me just mention it. However, sure. I've seen flyers come home that say, oh, my God, can you believe or, or, or just questionnaire something that reached me that said, can you believe they are teaching the five pillars of Islam inside of school? And I thought, right. Fuck, yeah, of course I can. I mean, where else? But in social studies, is my child going to learn? about other religions right i yeah. bet they're also teaching him the tenets of buddhism to some extent and right. shintoism and probably the many religions in india and you know like i hope they are because we're right. trying to create well knowledgeable people and the the idea is like this is bad but i don't know that anybody is forcing it down their throat you know i'm like no i think theory is where they should we should teach theory in school and right. when it's theory, I f- may- maybe CRT is coming across like it's critical race fact. And but that scares people. If it's critical race theory, then that understanding should just be applied as somebody's understanding. Now you are aware of how they might have an understanding. Tolerance can then be reached. I, I feel that there's this huge part of, of America's patriotism that's missing, I guess. Patriotism um, has lost its way. And now patriotism, I ask people all the time, what is the virtue of a patriot? And I get just dumbfounded responses that people are even amazed that I would put the two together. Like a patriot has virtue. We understand a sacrifice of a patriot. You might have to give up your life. Freedom isn't free. That seems to be understood. But no one seems Benjamin Franklin at one time told us the the um, virtue of a patriot would be tolerance. If we're going to be a diverse group, which we are, the only way we can be united is through tolerance. I see so much anti-tolerant behavior 
inside of anybody's idea of patriotism, uh, even inside of our, our halls of political uh, spheres, you know, where I get a flyer that says, I refuse to work with anybody across the aisle. Right. That's, that's literally your job, dude. Yeah, literally paying people to go to Washington, D.C. and do their jobs, and they can't even do their jobs at all. I got Candy bored. I can see right now. <laughs> Sorry, Candy. We went down the <laughs> hole. <laughs> we did. Um, I don't mind it, though. I'm still I'm still stuck on it. it. I think there's uh, saving the world in some fashion, and I, I'm wondering now if what you see is a draw to documentary f- photographs is that exactly that out of context uh, or that it removes the context of the article that people look into and they distrust anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think so, but uh, you know, it's only, it's only one way of getting information also through, you know, there's a lot of ways that you need to get information besides just photographs. So can, you know, photographs can tell you the whole story of the scene Mm -hmm. we were at, but we can't tell you what goes on behind closed doors, you know, and that's a problem because you kind of want to know as an American what's going on behind closed doors and what's really happening. So, and, you know, the places you have to go for that are, you know, unfortunately, CNN and Fox News. So, right. Somebody with a press pass. Well, you get a press pass, no, but then you need to have special yeah. clearances for a press pass. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. you're at BLM. You're also at Rockaway Beach. I see a lot. Yeah, I live in uh, Rockaway Beach, which is a small little surf town in South Queens, uh, New York City. You uh, surf yourself? I surf, yep. Surf uh, whenever, when I can, as much as awesome. I can. Yeah. Awesome. I, I've, I've been out. Uh, I'm not good at all. I'm still trying to catch an angle. I do a lot of nose diving, but it's, uh, it's fun even just to do that. It's nice to just get in the water and escape and... You know, the water around here is pretty cold. So once you get used to that chill factor and you get out there, it actually feels pretty refreshing when you get out, even though you're freezing cold. But That's why I was wondering. All these pictures are all black and gray, too, and they look yeah. cold. <laughs> you look freezing. Yeah. It's gray. But, you know, it's, it's, it's gray around here in New York. Yeah, and now what about sharks? They're, at least it's so dirty that they're not going to try and bite you, right? Well, surprisingly, the water is actually not dirty here. The water is actually pretty clean where I am on the ocean side, believe it or not. We, te- we, do, we test the water pretty consistently. Um, it looks dirty because this, the bottom is all sand. It's just like really it's clunky brown up. sand. Yeah. So okay. there's not as much pollution as, you, as one would think that's coming out of New York City. I would say the California, Los Angeles area is probably a lot more polluted than New York is. Um, but, you know, that's not all of that's, you know, we're in open ocean. So the water moves a lot. Once you get into the harbors of New York and the rivers and stuff like that, like you don't want to go in that water. So, you know, that okay. I follow. So, yeah. Hudson, yeah. where they keep landing the planes or whatnot. Yeah. BLM, <laughs> Black Lives Matter protests. You were there. You uh, you say it wasn't as violent, but then you must have seen some violence at them. Oh, as well. absolutely. Yeah. I saw a lot of violence. I mean, early on, I saw a you know, the first few days was a lot of looting, a lot of things mm-hmm. getting destroyed. That was another, that was another occasion where I was pretty scared because I was by myself and like, you know, stores are burning, people are smashing and stealing things. Uh, that was a little wild. 
Was there a uh, racial tension against, uh, like during Rodney King, it felt really scary to be a white person necessarily in the streets of LA, as yeah. I've been told. Right. Um, I, I remember that. I, I mean, I obviously wasn't there either, but I do remember that where it was not good to be a white person. I did not, I never felt that once at a BLM protest. I was, <laughs> I was totally fine. Felt pretty comfortable taking pictures when I needed to. I'm obviously, I try to be as respectful as possible when I'm taking people's photographs and not everybody wants to get photographed. And I get that. I don't want to be photographed either, but um, I never felt intimidated or threatened. If anything, you know, the police were the ones that were pushing me around and kicking me out of places and stuff like that. But, you know, they're also the police were not not coming to their defense or anything, but they were very outnumbered. And, you know, they're on itch. There's a lot going on against them and they're basically having to go to war in the streets and they don't, you know, the early days of that, nobody really knew what was happening. They just knew that, you know, the rumors were that New York city's burning and, you know, every other city's burning Portland's burned to the ground, which, you know, was partially true for Portland, but New York was, New York took some damage, but you know, New York can recover from hopefully most anything. And it has so far. Yeah. Hurricanes so, too. That, but hurricanes. you don't feel it was as bad as you've heard. You weren't in Phil in Portland. I'm guessing but I you, never you went don't to feel it was comparable. No, no, maybe in Portland it was different. I mean, I'm, you know, New York's a big place and New York's pretty diverse. And were you watching you know, any news then and, and having a, a comparison between news coverage and what you were actually seeing on the streets? Yeah. 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 I was, and they were both exaggerated on both sides. I'm, I watched both, both sides. sides. Yeah. So one side saying it's more peaceful. And yeah. th this is this is a fire that Fox News is is showing twenty four hours from seven different right. angles. Yeah, exactly. And Fox, you know, Fox News, News is, is saying... going to cover Portland. They're going to cover Portland the whole time because you know that's where shit is wild. That's where you know that is real Antifa. That is real people trying to take over the streets. And like, there's a different agenda in Portland than social justice. You know, and I don't know what that agenda is or anything like that. But like, you know, people probably went a little overboard there. Um, I think there's I, a, a large racial. Uh, like, am, am I wrong in thinking that Portland also had um, straight up racist groups like a uh, vocal and forget their yeah. name. It was a hidden name. You know, it wasn't one, like, hey, we're straight up racists. It's like Brothers of Christianity or some shit, you know, but it was yeah. a hidden name. I'm making that up. Please don't quote me on it. No, but, I, um, I'm not. And I'm not certain of that, but that's, you know, that's what I heard also. But again, it's just just what I hear. But. You know, I again you see it. You know, you follow the journalists. If you want to know what's going on, you follow the journalists in Portland. Yeah. They're gonna, you know, the independent people. You know, and you're gonna how find do, out what's how going does on. an independent person like that get paid? Is well, it a the, Patreon thing. Yeah, they could do Patreon. They could, you know, sell. They'll they'll shoot their images. They'll work for themselves as freelance, and then sell their images later on. You know, to whoever's gonna purchase them. Yeah, okay. so it's not that takes out a little bit of agenda now. Right. Until yeah. they sell the images and people start putting their own context around it. Right. If you're, <laughs> if you're hired by CNN to be a photojournalist, CNN's going to be like, okay, here's what we want you to shoot. You're going to go shoot this and this and this and this and this. And that's what we want to see. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, there's an agenda already developed there. So that photographer, or that journalist can't do what they want to do because now they've been given an agenda that they need to accomplish in order to keep their job, you know, right. in order to keep moving forward, and making money. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Commercial revenues fail, uh, um, going right along. Yeah, exactly. 
But yeah, uh, how do you feel about your place then? You 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 felt a little bit dirty about your involvement with Ink Masters, and then your your place in um, you're still working in film of sorts. Yeah, you, you I mean, I, you just yeah. do still on sets. It's not I reality. Do, though, yeah, anymore. I do. What's that? It's not Sorry. reality anymore, right? Yeah, I haven't worked in reality TV in a long time. I just felt like I was going down a path that maybe it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wasn't, you know, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. And I was traveling. I did some I did some television shows that I loved. I, I did a show for A&E that I actually loved, it, which sounds crazy because I spent, you know, six months at a time in a maximum security prison uh, in oh, New Mexico. What was it? I uh, did um, Behind Bars Rookie Year. I did a couple seasons of that. And so that was about correction officers going on the front lines for their first time, basically going through training camp um, mm-hmm. and then being put on the, uh, you know, on the chopping block. And then, you know, basically document them. That was pretty, that was a, re- I would say it's a reality show, but it's not, it's just straight documentary. Like we weren't producing anything. We were not making anything happen in prison. We're just basically mm-hmm. staying inside of a prison for 12 hours with cameras running and finding stories and listening to communications and finding everything that goes on. And you, you liked know, that, that felt less, that, that, that felt, it felt real more honorable. It mm-hmm. felt real okay. and it felt honorable. And, you know, you're, you know, you're talking to correction officers and you're talking to inmates and you're getting their stories and you're finding what's going on. And you learn a lot more things about our system. How dangerous you know, is that? You it, like it these was, things. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, at the, at the time I did, I had just had my first child and, um, you know, she was less than one years old when I was in prison and, uh, you know, it took me away from her and I was so focused on that. I like that. I so how do you like that sentence? My, my daughter is less than one <laughs> years old when I was in prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was shoot, when I was filming in prison and, uh, and then I was like, this is, I was like, this is pretty dumb. Like, you know, I, I'm, I've always felt somewhat safe in there, but you know, things can go down at any time and they Have do you seen that. Absolutely. I saw some crazy things going on in prison and like out of nowhere, like, you you know, you'll have absolute silence for like 11 hours. And then the 12th hour, like, you know, somebody gets stabbed and then all the correction officers are running and you're, we're chasing them with cameras and we're trying to find out what's going on. And that, that's a wild rush. That's a crazy one. And then you show up in the cafeteria or wherever, and there's, you know, people stabbing each other and, just crazy things going on. It's, it's what about the thoughts world. of riots? Was there that uh, you have to have that thought too? Eventually, I'm betting. Then, You're oh, like, yeah. what if the the whole thing, Attica, you know, just went up? Yeah, yeah, which is entirely possible. I mean, you know, that was a that was a pretty tough prison that I was in. It's also pretty pretty damn secure. But like, you know, things happen, and there's a lot of corruption in those prison systems. So, and. They try to hide it from you, but you're in there long enough. You see it, you know, you see it, you so see how it operates. You see there it. was a grimy side, not just to the criminals. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's grimy on both sides. And like, you know, the, you know, I won't speak too well, much about it, but the inmates have a lot of power see, in there. <laughs> do you see solutions to, or not? And no, I don't see solutions to that. I, I think that that is, it is what it is. I, you know, I wouldn't, if there are, are solutions are, I'm, I'm not the person to talk about them. The guys I would take have no pictures idea. of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's a whole, it's a different world. It's a whole nother world. You know, I've, I've seen it over and over a lot, actually that, um, and I think we're seeing it more and more now, possibly even coming out 
uh, how corruption seems to just breed corruption. But yeah. I, I can't imagine it's too much different than a KFC where you go there and you're, you know, you're like, Hey, I want to, yeah, I want a corn. And they're like, ah, it's going to take 10 minutes. You want something else? You're like, no, I'll wait 10 minutes. They're like what? Hey, he says he's going to wait 10 minutes. And like, just tell him we don't have it. <laughs> you're like, this is the, <laughs> this is coming from management. You know what I mean? You realize real quick, you're like, this is a problem from management. That's yeah. Matriculating down. And that corruption kind of needs other corruption, like like a Steve Grisham novel or something. Right. It's true. Corruption breeds corruption. It's true. It's true. Because, and you know, it, somebody's corrupt to you and you want something, you're going to figure out a way to get it back. And if it's corrupt, then you might yeah, do Now it. you're watching their back or, or you're yeah. watching their back and making sure their corrupt thing can go on. So your corrupt thing can go on. Yeah. And everybody's got to get yours. And it's little different than the criminal inside running a store out of his commissary for people yeah yeah it's very different i mean in, in prison you almost want to be corrupt you know what i mean like if you're a nice guy in prison you're probably not going to go very far so you gotta yeah. watch your back that's why but i don't I, go to prison yeah no I'm try, try a nice guy if i can advise anything it's do your best to try to stay out of prison you know <laughs> tough yes. place tough crowd is this so these these are what what makes you interested in this aspect? I, I did you did you grow up in any kind of conflict like this or was were you sheltered and you're like, I need this? No, not really. I wasn't sheltered and I, I didn't grow up in any real conflict. It just was something that was interesting. What, what really like um, what actually really got me interested in documentary photography and that kind of stuff is uh being at September 11th and photographing that. I photographed that when I was 25 years old. And it's just a weird story of how one of my best friends was visiting from California and we were in New Jersey and um, the day of September 11th when the buildings came down and I went to go, I, he, his first time in New York, he was actually in New Jersey, but he was, you know, freaking out. So I went and picked him up and we went to um, Jersey city, which, is the skyline view of New York city and the towers were gone at this point. It was just smoke. So I had my camera with me and, and started taking a few photos. Um, and a giant boat pulled up, a giant ferry pulled up and, uh, they, they were like, can you guys help us load these boxes? And we we're like, yeah, of course. And meanwhile, the towers are down already. There's a lot of smoke in the background. So we started loading up all these boxes and crates of water and crates okay. of food to bring in to, lower manhattan we were just gonna put it on the boat and you know right. hang back so we put all the stuff on the put as much stuff on the boat i'll i'll say this in the boxes that we loaded were body bags we loaded three thousand body bags because they thought that they might find bodies at yeah. that time <laughs> um so obviously those had no use and then so we loaded everything up on the boat and they're like we need all the help we can get down there and we were like on the boat and they're like let's go guys and we're like uh okay so it was my friend joe and i and um, we're next thing you know, we're on the boat with all these supplies and we going down there. Better going down. To it's his better, his first day into New York. He's never even seen it before. He's never been to New York City before. Yeah, he's never seen it before. What's he doing? Um, he's uh, well, he's a dad and he lives in Napa and uh, Sonoma, and okay. uh, he, he he writes. He, he does books. Okay, that kind of stuff. 
He, um, is he is he any thrill chaser himself? It sounds like writing is almost no. took the opposite direction. You're no. Like you were like, this is my thing, and he was like, I am going to go back to my comfortable house, yeah, light a <laughs> light a cigar, write yeah. a couple chapters about a detective novel, and call it right on. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a few stories about it, and then uh, and then he washed his hands with it. But he calls me every year. You know, we don't get to talk all the time, but every year he calls mm-hmm. me on September 11th, and we talk because you know it was it was. It was a sight to see and you know not a nice sight to see it was awful obviously right. and um, but it's so an important for, part of everybody's life at this yeah. point in america and then you guys went through a very heroic and dramatic event did what happens when you get did you get it on land then too yeah so or they just drop so everything they, off and go back for more no they they dropped us off the boat wasn't going back so we what we did is we grabbed all the supplies we could water and apples and we started walking in towards where the towers were um and we were disoriented at this time like Mm -hmm. we it was hard really hard to tell where you were and like i wasn't at that time i wasn't very familiar with downtown manhattan so i like i didn't understand all the street signs and stuff so we were just kind of following light um and there are fire trucks everywhere and there are firefighters down there and we'd offer them water and apples and they want, you know, th- these guys were destroyed and they wanted nothing to do with it. You know, they didn't want water. They didn't want food. It was just the saddest situation I'd ever seen. What do you mean? They didn't want point. it. They, they didn't feel they deserved it kind of thing or something. That's no, they a... didn't feel like they were just so emotionally drained that they were beyond the point of like thirst or, or hunger or anything like that. It was like, you know, obviously one of the most depressing days of their lives. They all lost a lot of friends and, you know, this was this was nighttime. This was probably like nine or ten o'clock at night at this point when we got in there, and they just real, you know, we didn't want to disturb them because they're obviously dealing with a lot of things, and uh, yeah, so we yeah. just kind of stayed back, and we had no way off the island. You know, we were in Manhattan. Now we're stuck on Manhattan. So, you know, we yeah. walked around, offered whatever services we could, and I shot some photos of it, and then, uh, and then the next when the sun came up in the morning, we found our way back to the docks. And um, we saw the uh, the Coast Guard and we waved down the Coast Guard and they came right and scooped us up and got us out of there. And then uh, that was, you know, we didn't have digital cameras right then. So we weren't getting our images back quickly. So I raced down to Philadelphia where my mom was and had the film developed. And back then, you know, how you did it was you walked right into the news station. So I walked right up to the Philadelphia Inquirer without it. Toby McGuire's uh, yeah. Peter Parker style. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Peter Parker style with a bunch of images. And I was like, hey, I was at September 11th. Are these anything you guys are interested in? And they're like, yeah, definitely. And they paid me, I think they paid me $300 back then. I was like, ah, I'll give you 300 bucks, kid. Yeah. And uh, they gave me 300 bucks. And then they ran a few of my photos in the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was the first time I was like really published in a newspaper. Um, and that was, that was cool. You know, it was an unfortunate circumstance that led to that. But I, but that kind of like triggered me. I was like, oh, I see what I can do here. I can I have the ability to tell stories with a camera and put it out there for people to see. And I and I appreciated the feedback that I got from people. And that kind of helped push me into do do what I do. But you know, I, I, lo- I did lose track of that for a while. Um, you know, because I ended yeah. up going into television production. Well, which three hundred bucks seems like good to a kid then, but yeah. I'm guessing it was also extremely hit or miss after that, right? You almost yeah, but, need drama or like you need riots, you need, you know, conflict, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that's sad to say, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, something's got to be going on, 
in order for you know something that people care about in order yeah, to show it. Don't, uh, then you also have to be able to be in its proximity. Yeah. Luckily, sometimes somebody will tweet something like, come on down, it's going to be wild. And you'll right, know, exactly. good and lord. Then know, and then you know it's going to be wild. And it was. It was wild. So, All right. The other time, though, was just the Ink Master. Oh, well. Any, um, I, I, I should turn this over and I should let you go to your day. But before I do, I'd like to give you a chance to put me on the hot seat. I think it's kind of been back and forth already. But <laughs> any questions you'd ask me? I know I you know I've, I talk to you all the time and I look I just I just hope that you know the the people of your season on Ink Master understand that you know I, I was doing a job and I don't really recall exactly what I did if I was a good person or if I was a bad person <laughs> but I I hope that I held a little bit of integrity and I felt you like know. you always did and I I could tell that you wanted to at least you yeah, know, I mean, it, it came out I, in your actions, and also it, it seemed like at times that was very opposite to some of um the other producers there that would audibly make noises and stuff of approval, even as they would like show a, a picture, as though like I you know, I don't know. I I my dad died when I was ten, and I kind of just for the longest time has watched people. And maybe I made up conspiracies in my mind about what was going through their head, but all of it seems right. And when we're looking through these photographs, uh, there's the the producer would audibly make noises as though of approval or or disgust for mm. ones that she wanted you to not like or like. Maybe they were just reactions as though she was watching them for the first time, but I couldn't believe that. It was just hard yeah. to imagine that she had just gotten them in and pulled them over us, us to them before she perused them herself. And then she sees one. She's like, oh. right. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll let you draw your own conclusion, which I think your conclusion is probably accurate, but I mean, the producer was probably in the room when all those tattoos were being done and probably yes. had seen them all. One would assume that. Yes. Know. And completely <laughs> wanted to sway an opinion or even to let you feel, you know, um, whatever way from her approval from it. Right. Oh, well, that, that's me. That's, still why, being angry. Mm -hmm. that's why I didn't fit in at that job. No. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think feel like people know the show's in its 14th season, you know, it's not, and it's not news to anybody. You talk about it all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, I, I'm curious of, of your opinion, I guess, just in, in so many situations. It honestly, I wish so much that it was like, yeah, Kyle is all a big fucking conspiracy. Everybody knew it. It was written down backstage. They're like, how are we going to fuck with Kyle today? There were five or six different ways and each producer would pick one. Yeah. Well, you know what? It could have been. And I wasn't looped into the situation. I mean, that's a possibility. You know, <laughs> okay. I've cool. never, I can still I've, imagine that. Yeah. I mean, I've never experienced it myself, but again, like yeah. I was, I felt like when I was there, I was on a team by myself and I was paranoid as a producer. You know, I was paranoid. The other producers as though you were, were, were you doing the right job? Were you having the right attitude? Yeah. All that. Else. But like I, you know, other producers were saying things to my boss about me and like, you know, there's drama within the drama and there's drama within the producers. And, you know, so it's a tough road to navigate. And I know I didn't, I didn't fit in there, you know, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong would, with that. You would know? you go back and do it again? Absolutely not. I definitely would not. So are you glad that you did it? 
I'm glad that I did it. And, you know, the best relationships that have come out of that are with you guys. You know, I always have good relationships with my cast members. I feel like, like after the fact, you know, and well, you're an artist, I think, right. That's, it seems to go. I, mean, I try to be, you know, I try to be, but you know, you guys are all incredibly talented and I, you know, respect that. And like, you know, I, I learned a lot. I learned a ton about tattooing from working on that show. You know, that was a benefit of it. So have you gotten cool. any more since? No, I haven't because I can't decide what I need to get. And um, I don't know. And I don't know who's going to do it. You know, I don't know. But well, for anybody vacillating back at home and possibly for yourself, I find that this helps me make decisions and helps other people make decisions on their tattoos. One is pick the place you want to get tattooed and then apply the principle of that you understand that the tattoo is not for you, but for you to share. So the people that view that tattoo, what do you want to communicate to them? Do not put a memory tattoo on your right hand because every time you shake somebody's hand, you're going to be talking about a sad time. That kind of thought. You apply that kind of thought to it. Some tattoos are for just you and your lover, your wife people that you share that spot of body with some are for people at the beach some are for work the right hand i say should always be your work related and the left hand gets to be your hobby hand and then everything else like if you're going to put family on you i recommend that you keep it protected so somebody doesn't say that person on your arm looks like a bitch i hate them and you're fighting right that's a good that's a good way to look at it i never looked at it like that so that helps I hope it does. And I hope it helps people at home. And with that, when I'm helping, then I know I've stayed too long and said too much, <laughs> um, which is my sign off. I guess that should be known. Brother, I really appreciate you being a part of this. It, it means the too. world to me. Um, me thanks too, for giving man. me a perspective and actually pulling me back a little bit from the ideas of a conspiracy uh, and, and giving me a, a logical sounding board from the other side, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's all those people's jobs to make the most exciting show, you know, and they're going to they're going to do that. And some people will do it at whatever cost it takes, you know, and that's kind of unfortunate. But, you know, it is what it is. We're awesome because where it's ended me and I'm, awesome, I, it's yeah. like I weirdly can't be mad about it. In, in some ways, I really hope to have Nunez on eventually and, you know, let him know how much I appreciate. Because I think the whole time that he was fucking with me or whatever, or I imagine he yeah. was fucking with me, he knew that it was better suited. It was better than almost even winning. Did you reach out to him? Uh, yeah, I texted him not too long ago and thanked him. I kind of said that, you know, I kind of let him know that I really appreciate what he's done for me. And I kind of realized now that he knew what he was doing for me more than I ever could have imagined then. Yeah. One, one thing he used to walk around and he would say, um, number four did better than, or did he say, yeah, number four did better than one, two and three. And he would be referencing tattoo baby as having more popularity and getting more pull uh, than even the winner of that season. Yeah. And, and I get that, you know, and I think that was then that was me. I was kind of the tattoo baby of that, or at least it had so much interest in, in my struggle. And only because I had, I was like the person who had the judge as, you know, it was like me against the world in that kind of case. So everybody at home who thinks that their boss is a dick to them, you know, they come over and they pour out their fries from the fryer later. Nope, those ones ain't salted right. You did them wrong. Try it again. They're pissed. No. And they're like, man, when Kyle goes off on this walker, I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> I love it so much. I loved it too. And it wasn't my fault. I didn't, I didn't instigate it, but 
I should have let you, it happen. <laughs> you think you stopped it too early? I think, no, no. I think I did the right thing by jumping you in were, there and stopping the fight. I don't know if we really touched on that, but yeah. Well, you know, no, I we didn't. You, you know what? I forgot. I think you told me that I shot on you too. And like, I had you for a minute. Didn't it? Or was it you shot on me? I can't remember. No, I, I think you gave it, me, I think that you, I think that you easily could have passed me, but I, but I was, okay. I was very much aware of the situation. And, and I'm sorry. I know you're trying to wrap this up, but I'll just say it real quick. Mm -hmm. I was, no, we're back into it now, we, man. I love we, it. <laughs> we're on, we're on the floor and we're filming a television show and there's a verdict about to come up or we're starting to chat. We're not even, we're starting a challenge. Right. Mm -hmm. And I already know what headspace you're in. And I already know I had space I'm in and I'm watching you like a hawk and I'm on the sidelines and I just see you getting more mad and more mad. And I, and you had this look in your eyes of like, I'm going to murder this motherfucker. And I, and I knew exactly what you were doing. And I saw you launch from the line and you were going after him. And I just did everything I could to just hop in your way and just slow you down. And I don't remember what happened. You might, I think you might have like grabbed me for like a double leg takedown or something. And like maybe I got lucky and didn't get knocked down, or maybe I did. I don't even remember. But I know that I feel like you it. had to give me a compliment. It was it was the best part of that day because the night before you said I'd break your arm, Kyle. You were very confident <laughs> about that. And so then I got this shoot, you know, because I used to wrestle. Of course, yeah. that don't mean much against a BJJ guy. Just because I end up on no, the ground don't best. mean much, does it? You're gonna no, choke me up with my shirt. Wrestling's the best. Everybody knows it, and uh, yeah. But I, but I, but I stopped it. But what, what upset mm. me, like later, what really pissed me off was the fact that after the fact, Munez like basically told me to go fuck myself, and that it was my fault, and and then I felt just extremely betrayed by the people up above me, and I was like, fuck this, and they were obviously like, fuck him. Yeah. Know, well, I got to figure he he needed that scapegoat to rewrite a contract with him too. He needed you as much as they needed you. You know what I mean? He, yeah. I'm sure he did. He can't, if, if he has any, any reason or any fucking logic to him, he knows that they didn't mind that one bit, you know, like yeah. that was their commercial. They fucking, yeah. They love like it. It be so he needs to be mad at you so that he can't be mad at Andrea or, or uh, I sh maybe I shouldn't say, but so he can't be mad at higher up people because he's going to go back to work for them. They get, they pay him fucking well. Yeah. Does he still work there? No, no. After the Ollie thing that destroyed a lot, you know, when that came out, it ruined season 13. Um, nobody watched it. And then yeah. uh, they did a revamp and now they have some very credible judges. They have Nico Hurtado on there. Nice. I don't know if he was on for your season, but he is one of the best portrait artists in the world. They he he have, wasn't, um, but I know who he is because he was on previously, and I, mm -hmm. I, I, I know who he is. It, he was like a legend backstage, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, like, right. To us, he became N-word Hurtado at one time. I, I got mm -hmm. to tell him that in a conversation. Uh, what's it? Because uh, they told us not to ever mention his name again. So they're like N word. So, so I, I, um, some of the guys were like, Oh yeah, don't just N word him. <laughs> like if it's Nico and you're going to say Nico, just say N word and we'll know what you really mean. And, God. <laughs> you know, it was uh, Nunez was so mad. And I find out later from Nico too, that uh, Nunez and him actually had conversation where they ended up just saying, well, we'll agree to disagree. And move on with filming today as they were talking about tattoo theory. 
and <laughs> Nunez holding this archaic idea of line work uh, creating a shortcut to contrast as opposed to creating real contrast, how long it will last, vice versa. They were going back and forth. And um, as Nico told me, that was the result of it. Just we'll agree to disagree so we can get on with filming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, like success. Hope you're happy yeah. with it. Yeah, I feel like the same with that in in the Ink Master. Like I feel like that's how I felt. It's like, hey, if you guys want to keep pushing me, go ahead and push me. But, right. See what happens. Yeah, is it going to be what you really want? Eventually, you know, you got your eye poked out, and what was it for? You look in the mirror with a with an eye patch on every day. Who wants that? that <laughs> what do you think would have happened if I just let you kick the shit out of Chris Nunez? <laughs> I think exactly. I've never been able to throw a punch. I'm not a puncher. I've always been a wrestler. It's not good to get in a wrestling match with anybody more. I mean, if you know, with two people. Yeah. But when you put your head down on the ground, you start going and, and the other guy likes to punch. Sometimes you're trying to pin him and you don't win. I don't know that he wouldn't have. I, I, know, I know that I wouldn't have never punched him. Actually, that's what I know. I never would have punched him unless he swung on me. I really wanted yeah. him to. And then I, I would have probably tried a couple of jabs. I'm not good at him. I know I would have just took him down and tried to choke him out. You would have just wrestled him down. And that's what I see yeah. happening. Just wrestle him down. He might try right. to he might try to throw a fist when you're coming in, but he's probably not going to stop you. <laughs> no, that was, I mean, he was so small though, too. Like I, I can't pick a fight with a littler guy. The women come up to him and and, and they're like, oh, did the big man beat you up? What did you can't believe <laughs> And then when you win, they look at you like, you know, he's a giant killer. That's what you get for picking on someone, you know, literally than you. Yeah. You can't win the fight. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm getting one last message here. Oh, Halo called the night before to my wife and explained where my head was at. She was reminding me. And he, at that point, it was, it was, it was a turn of for everybody when, when they pooped on the tattoo I had done and I had actually for the first time gotten some encouragement because I came up and I really loved it. Uh, everybody actually clapped for me because they knew I was in a really funk place and I'm not an unlikable guy. Halo called up my wife and he said, I don't even know anymore. If I was there, I could completely see punching him out. Um, Sausage, even himself, who was saying, Kyle, you're always saying these judges, these judges, these judges. He himself came back and sat down and said, I don't know, Kyle. I think they just have it out for you. <laughs> From that, I was like, yes, this is the last one. This one is the one I can go out on. And when I called my wife and talked to her, she says, Halo already told me it was just some straight up unfair ass bullshit that you dealt with. And if you want to come home, I support it. You can punch him. If you want, I said, can I tell him his mom sucks cocks in hell? And she said, no, <laughs> everybody's got a mom and they will not <laughs> like hearing that. So yeah, possibly some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Good advice. Uh, candy. <laughs> I think she did great. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know that. That was it for your own edification. <laughs> Again, thanks so much for being a part of this brother. Uh, yeah, look man. Forward Thank you to, for having me. To, uh, can you give us some Instagram? Let's let's uh, let people know where they can follow you along at and how they can support you. Yeah, real quick, and I'll be better about posting on Instagram. But it's uh, at Kyle underscore Turboss T E R B O S S, um, and that's pretty much where I exist on social media. 
And then I have a website, which is Kyle dot or it's Kyle Turboss photography.com, which is where basically my body of work since I was 24 years old lives. So check it out. I'm going to check it out now. I appreciate All it, right. man. Thanks so right. much. Thank we'll talk you. Talk to you later, man. All right, no bye. problem. Bye.